Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And I'm Britt. And the story I have for you today is one a lot of you might know, or at least think you know. Because when we polled our highest level fan club members and asked them if they wanted to hear us talk about the murder of Madeline McCann, many of them had like, a wait what moment? And they're like, what do you mean murder? It's a missing person case. Right. Which makes me think that you haven't heard the whole story. The story of a three-year-old girl who disappeared from her bed during a beach holiday with her parents. And with the whole world watching, investigators spent years interviewing witnesses, chasing leads, and identifying suspects. But they could never find a trace of the little girl. For more than a decade, the story ended right there, and that's what's been told and retold so many times. Until the summer of 2020, when a surprise announcement shocked the world. This is the story of Madeline McCann. It's 8.35 p.m. on the night of May 3rd, 2007, and Kate and Jerry McCann are just sitting down to dinner at their beachside resort in Praia de Luz, Portugal. Now, they've been eating at this same exact restaurant every single night of their holiday, and this is night six, and they do this mostly because it was the closest restaurant to their apartment. And they had this, like, little routine. Basically, every night, they'd feed their kids around Five, and that's three-year-old Madeline McCann and her two two-year-old twin siblings. Now, they hang out with them for a little bit after they eat, get them ready for bed, tuck them in, and then maybe share a bottle of wine or just relax while the kids fall asleep. And then a little later on, around 8.30 or 9, Kate and Jerry would leave the kids asleep in the room and then head to the restaurant to meet their friends. Right, because this is like a, a like a friendcation almost, like it's a pretty big group of people. Yeah, according to notes from a police interview with Jerry, there were nine adults and eight children, including the McCann family. So this restaurant that they're at, is like a little tapas restaurant, was like, a two-minute walk from the McCann's apartment. And what they would do is basically take turns leaving the table every 15 minutes or so to check on the kids. And usually they would, like, peek into the rooms, do, like, a visual check. But sometimes they just, like, listened outside the window to make sure that no one was awake or upset or crying or anything. And like I said, this was their usual routine. They'd been doing this every single night of their vacation. So they had this routine down pat, and it was working for them. Were the other parents doing the same thing with their kids, too? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, one of the couples even had a baby monitor, which meant that they had ears on their kids the whole time. So they didn't necessarily do like the up and down routine. They only left if they heard their kids awake or crying or whatever. But But there was like a constant check in with everybody's kids. Yeah. And, And again, this is the reason they picked this restaurant. And this is why they ate there every single night, because it was the closest to their rooms, which made it the easiest to do these regular checks. It felt safer. 
Now, Jerry is the first to get up and check on the kids at 9 p.m. This is less than half an hour after they arrived at the restaurant. He goes into the room through the patio door and notices right away that the door to the kids' room is open to like a 45-degree angle. And this is interesting because they normally leave the door open just like a teeny tiny crack. So it's strange, but nothing to like cause him a ton of alarm right away. Because when he looks in, he sees all three kids, Madeline in her bed, the twins in their cribs. Everyone is sleeping peacefully. So knowing everyone's fine, he heads back to the restaurant. The next check is at 9.30 and Kate stands up to go. But another one of the dads at the table, this guy named Matthew Oldfield, whose kids are sleeping right next door to the McCann, says, you know what? No, like I'm basically got to get up. I'll just check on yours while I'm up too, which he does. And he sees nothing out of the ordinary and he comes back to the restaurant. Around 10 p.m., Kate leaves the restaurant and heads to the apartment. Just like Jerry, she notices right away that the door to the kids' room is quite a bit more open than what she thinks is normal or usual. And when she reaches out to close it again, the wind slams the door shut. So she opens it and sees the twins laying in their crib. But Madeline's bed is empty and not only that, but the window to the room is wide open, and so are the shutters, and that's definitely not how she left them. So immediately, Kate checks the entire apartment, thinking maybe Madeline wandered out of her bed looking for them, looking for the bathroom. I mean, maybe that's why the door was open, right? Right, right. But she's nowhere to be found. So she runs back to the restaurant, totally frantic. I mean, I I can't even imagine. She had to be in a complete panic. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and she's looking to go get Jerry and the rest of the group and tell them that she can't find Madeline. And so they all get up and they all start searching right away. Kate, Jerry, and their friends, and even resort staff, spend the next few minutes searching the hallways and around the apartment building, along with, like, the pools, the tennis courts, like, any part of the resort that they can think of where Madeline might be. But they don't find any signs of her. And that's when they decide they need to call in the police. Police are on the scene by 10.30 p.m. that night. And when they start looking around, they don't see any sign of forced entry into the McCann's suite. Now, there are two doors to like get into this suite or apartment, whatever you want to call it. There is a main door, like a front door, and then there's this patio door. And the patio door was the one that was visible from the restaurant that the family was at. The front door had been locked all night. But the patio door, well, the McCanns often left that one unlocked during the evenings because they worried that opening and closing the front door might wake up the kids. Which seems totally valid to me. Right. But also, like, terrifying, right? Because now we have this, like, point of entry that potentially wasn't locked. Right, right. Now, this search for Madeline lasts most of the night until about 4 a.m. And later that day, Kate and Jerry speak to the media for the first time about their daughter. Words cannot describe the anguish and despair that we are feeling as the parents of our beautiful daughter, Madeline. We request that anyone who may have any information related to Madeline's disappearance, no matter how trivial, contact the Portuguese police and help us get her back safely. Please 
if you have Madeline, let her come home to her mummy, daddy, brother and sister. So this is now the day after Kate discovered Madeline's empty bed. And on this day, police sit down with Kate and Jerry and all the other members of their group, nine adults in total, remember. And they all tell virtually the same exact story about the day Madeline disappeared. They say it was completely normal, just like any other day at the resort. And Reading the witness statements, which have been translated from Portuguese and posted on the MaddieCaseFiles.com, they all say there was nothing out of the ordinary with Madeline, nor with her parents. And the McCanns even go further to say that they insist they have no enemies, no secrets, no reason that someone might want to hurt them or their daughter. They're adamant that Madeline would never have gone freely with a stranger without raising an alarm. Like, basically, they're saying, like, if someone came and took her, she would cry, she would scream, she would shout, whatever. She would fight, right. Yes. But after a lengthy physical search on the night she disappeared and a full day of witness interviews, it's honestly beginning to look like that might have been exactly what happened. Even though no one heard cries or screams, it seems like the only logical explanation. Now, when police talk to this woman named Jane Tanner, she's one of the other parents on the trip, she tells them something that supports this theory, potentially, of an abduction. She says that around 9.15 on the night Madeline disappeared, she saw a dark-haired man wearing a dark coat carrying a small child in his arms. And he was carrying this child away from the complex where the McCann's apartment is. And there's something about this scene that that really just didn't sit well with Jane. Even at a family resort where dads are like carrying their kids like all the time at all hours, like that's totally normal. There's just something about the way that he was holding this child, this child having bare feet and how quickly he was walking. It just it wasn't natural. It wasn't a dad. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't him doing that for them. Yeah. She said the whole scene just felt off to her and really stuck out in hindsight. Now, she provides a pretty detailed description of the man and even does a sketch, but police don't make any requests to the public to help identify this guy. So while all these interviews are happening, is anybody still like physically searching for Madeline? Yes. So police are still searching. And at this point, it's not even just the area immediately surrounding the resort anymore. I mean, they have They've covered that. They've expanded farther out. They even reach out to border guards and airports to watch for Madeline. Oh, wow. And according to an article from BBC News, hundreds of volunteers are also lending a hand. But even with all that searching, there is almost no movement in Madeline's case. That is until over a week later when police finally hone in on a suspect. On May 14th, 10 days after Madeline's disappearance, police questioned their first suspect in the case, a 34-year-old property developer living just 150 feet from the McCann's Holiday apartment in Praia de Luge. According to Dan Hall's reporting for The Sun, this man named Robert Murat actually reached out to Portuguese police and offered his help to translate for them to, like, help with the investigation. Again, these are a bunch of people who speak English, and he kind of came forward on his own offering his help because he is fluent in both English and Portuguese. He tells them that, you know, 
I'm doing this because I just feel horrible about what's going on with Madeline. I have a daughter. She's about the same age. Like, it just must be so difficult for the parents. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, we've seen this before. Like, I don't love it when people just decide to, like, insert themselves into an investigation like that. Totally. And, like... If, there's a fine line, right? Like, I, I definitely, there needs to be good people out there. I would hope that if I was in this situation and there was someone who could kind of bridge that gap, that that person would come forward. And we even support people volunteering to help searches. Like, we get that. Right. But this seems a bit much. And and the police are suspicious of it, too. Like, something isn't quite right or doesn't sit quite right with them. And then when one of the local reporters tells them that Robert has been kind of, like, sniffing around, asking a lot of, like, really detailed questions, about the case, Mm -hmm. that's when police decide to bring him in for, like, some official questioning. While they do this, they also search the house that he shares with his mother, which, again, is super close to the McCann's apartment. And one other thing is, remember that man Jane Tanner said that she saw carrying that child? Yeah. Well, that man was walking in the direction. Again, I, I said earlier he's walking from the McCann's apartment, but he was also walking in the direction towards Robert's house. And Jane said that she felt like the man was not a tourist, but that the guy she saw carrying the child, she believed had to have been a local. Why did she think that? So it's an interesting detail. So Jane said that the man she saw carrying the child was wearing a coat and vacationers at the resort didn't really tend to wear heavy jackets like the one that this guy was wearing. She said, you know, we might bring like a sweater, we might bring like a light jacket, but Mm -hmm. not like this full wool coat that I saw this guy wearing. That's just not something vacationers tend to pack, like in their tiny bag, we don't have to take up space with a coat. So police question Robert long and hard in connection with Madeline's disappearance. And because they identify him publicly as an arguido, which is the Portuguese word for person of interest, the media are relentless in their own investigations and coverage of Robert. But anyone who knows this case well, and I know a lot of crime junkies will, knows that things kind of go a bit quiet at this point. Like, We hear a little bit about Robert, and then there's no announcements, and there's no leads, and no sign anywhere of Madeline. Right. It just kind of stops there. Yeah. And this went on like this for like three months. And then it was early August when police go back to the McCann's holiday apartment, this time, again, three months later, with cadaver dogs. Three months is such a long time, though. Like, is the crime scene even intact at that point? Well, according to reporting by Caroline Gamble for The Telegraph, the apartment sat empty for like a month, but then went right back into rotation with other tourists staying in there and like renting it out. So Right, this is a resort. Exactly. So for like two months, people kind of were coming and going. That seems like it would really kind of taint the results of anything, let alone cadaver dogs. Well, totally. And Charlie Parker wrote a story for The Sun in 2019, like right after the Netflix documentary was released about this part of the investigation. And in it, he quotes one of the dog's handlers who says that for them, though, the length of time, I guess, really isn't a huge issue for the dogs. Right. But the McCanns weren't the only ones who stayed in that room. So I guess how would they know that the dogs were picking up Madeline's 
scent or blood versus someone else's. So that's just it, right? Like they can't. So if it had been preserved, being three months is like no big deal. But like you have a ton of other people in there and there's no way that a dog can tell like this is Madeline's cadaver scent versus anything or anyone else having a cadaver scent. Right. And I'm even thinking like I have kids, like if one of them cuts themselves, like is is the dog going to pick up on that versus Madeline in this situation? Like, Yeah, and the dog's handler actually said as much in an interview with Charlie Parker for The Sun. I mean, we're, we're kind of focused on these two months where people are coming in and out. And like that's kind of where my mind immediately went to. Yeah. But the handler said that the dogs could actually totally pick up scent from days, months, or even years before the McCanns were even in that apartment. So just because like they're in there and picking something up. We can't prove that it was Madeline. We can't prove it was after Madeline. We can't even prove it didn't happen before Madeline. But for whatever reason, they bring in the dogs anyway. There are two dogs. We have Eddie, who's trained to sniff out cadavers. And then there's Keela, who's trained to find blood evidence. And while they're sniffing out this apartment in this area, in the resort or whatever, they actually both alerted their trainers, not just in the apartment, but specifically in Kate and Jerry's closet, and then also the trunk of their rental car, which it's important to note, like, they didn't even get that rental car until 24 days after Madeline went missing. And... This is when the investigation begins to shift, and in a really big way, from this idea that Madeline was taken by someone, a stranger, possibly a local, to thinking that maybe Kate and Jerry McCann themselves might have had something to do with their daughter's own disappearance. Okay, so this is the part about Madeline's case that I remember the most vividly, this intense focus on her parents. The working theory had something to do with them maybe drugging her so they could have their dinner out without being disturbed, right? Yeah. So the police's theory on this front was that basically Kate and Jerry gave Madeline a sedative that night so that she would sleep while they were at the restaurant. But maybe they gave her too much and because of that, she died. Like, I think it was always presented as this, like, accidental situation. Right. Not, like, malicious or anything like that. Yeah. But then like the theory was that in a panic, according to an Entertainment Daily article by Nicola Agius, the police's theory was that Kate and Jerry, like again, panicked, hid her body, faked an abduction, but didn't like bury her until weeks later when they actually like rented that car, which I never fully understood that theory because where would they have kept her for weeks that no one would find? I mean, they we talked about it. They had police. There's volunteers. They were, like, all over that resort. Right. Like, the searches were massive. And I don't feel like her parents ever even had a moment of privacy in that time. Right. But at the time, sources from the Portuguese police, I mean, themselves are telling media that they are sure this is what happened. That it was the only explanation that makes sense. They say it explained why the dogs alerted, why there was no trace of evidence at all. And one investigator basically told a local paper that the intruder theory wouldn't even work because it would have been impossible to get through the window carrying a child, which, like, doesn't quite add up for me. Yeah, I mean, the window wasn't the only way to get in and out of the apartment. Right. Plus, it wasn't even the easiest one. The McCanns were completely honest in saying, like, yeah, we definitely left the patio door unlocked so we could, you know, slip in and out without waking the kids. 
Like, someone easily could have come into the apartment through the unlocked window, but left through the patio door. Totally. And, I mean, more than this, like, window thing, because, again, like, I think there's a super easy way to, like, poke holes in that. I think a lot of what was really driving the theory behind, like, the parents being involved, at least for the police and probably for the public, who really jumped on it right away, was really, like, the cadaver dogs and where and why and when and all of, like, the fact that they alerted. Mm -hmm. But even with that, to me, problems with that, too. Because, A, the crime scene had not been secured. Again, even beyond that, we had the handler say, They could be picking up something from months or years before the McCanns were even there. Right. And B, we're talking about a rental apartment and a rental car. Like, who knows what went on before the McCanns moved in? Who knows who had the car before they had it? Right. Like, and and then again, they opened it back up to people. Like, to me, yes, it it seems like super fishy and we have a missing girl and, and it is wild that these dogs alerted, but I don't think it means that the parents had a dead child in their trunk or in their apartment closet. Well, and I guess I come back to this is tough because like I love a good crime fighting puppet, but there's also the reliability issue with cadaver dogs. I mean, we just talked about it in the Fort Hood episode, how cadaver dogs literally stood on top of where Vanessa's body was buried and never alerted. Right. Absolutely. And the McCann's basically make a public statement refuting every point that we kind of just went through. Like, I mean, you can clearly poke holes in that. And this isn't just in hindsight. Like, they knew all this stuff then, too. But even their statement, even poking the holes in it, it doesn't stop the police or the public from really going after them in a serious way. Eventually, on September 9th, 2007, this is four months after Madeline's disappearance, Kate and Jerry and their twins finally have to head home to England without Madeline. And at this point, the investigation kind of bounces between Portuguese police and law enforcement in London, both the London Metropolitan Police and Scotland Yard. And in the years that followed, there are searches, there are sightings, there's age-progressed pictures, several DNA tests. I mean, at one point, Kate and Jerry even go on Oprah. And there were a lot of moments where we thought we might have an answer. Like, Sometimes good news, often it was potentially terrible, but nothing ever ended up coming of any of them. Nothing solid. So for years, the case made headlines. We made documentaries. People covered it on podcasts. And the theories around what happened to Madeline and how it happened to her were almost endless. And again, the most persistent of all of those theories was that Kate and Jerry were responsible for their daughter's disappearance. Mm -hmm. The media and the public scrutinized every word, every action, every single move that they made for years. And that's how it went on for years. But then, out of nowhere, this very summer, the summer of 2020, German law enforcement officials, not Portuguese, not the Scotland Yard, not London, German officials shock pretty much everyone in the entire world when they make an announcement. They say that they have a suspect in custody for the murder of Madeline McCann. In June 2020, German police name 43-year-old sex offender Christian Bruckner as a suspect in the murder of Madeline McCann. I mean, I know we all kind of 
expected murder or suspected it, but this is the first time it's ever actually been considered a homicide, right? Right. Police in Germany say they're now treating this case as a homicide investigation. But here's the thing. They don't say why yet. Now, the good news is Christian is already in prison when the news comes out. He's serving seven years for a 2005 sexual assault on a 72-year-old American tourist in, wait for it, Praia de Luz. What? Yeah. According to Kay Kelly's reporting for the New Daily, Christian was a known sex offender who traveled regularly between Germany, Spain, and Portugal during the time of Madeline's disappearance. Police say that in 2007, he was actually in Portugal, right in the area of the Ocean Club Resort. Like, I'm not talking about the same town. I'm talking about less than half a mile away. How do they know that? Just from, like, witness reports? Yeah, well, apparently he drove this really distinctive yellow and white Volkswagen camper van that he was actually seen driving around the Praia de Luz area in the days before Madeline vanished. And he'd been in Portugal at that point for a while trying to stay off the radar of German police, who had apparently been watching him constantly because of his long criminal history, which includes theft, drug trafficking, and child sex abuse. Shireen Khalil reported for the New Zealand Herald that he lived in a house about five miles from the Ocean Club Resort, but that he had a, quote, vile and disgusting shack, end quote, that was even closer, less than two miles away. But beyond the circumstantial, investigators say that they actually have evidence that puts Christian literally at the scene of Madeline's abduction between 9 and 10 p.m. on the night she vanished. Like surveillance footage? No, not surveillance footage, but you're not too far off. It is digital evidence. They said that his cell phone was active in the area of the hotel during that window of time. And not only that, but Christian seemed to flee the area right after Madeline disappeared. He had this second car, a 1993 Jag, deregistered. Then he left Portugal entirely. And I guess like thinking that it'd be better if he took his chances in Germany, which probably should tell you something. Okay, but I'm having a hard time believing a predator, a legitimately convicted sex offender, driving a vintage VW Creeper van would have never made it on any police's radar back in 2007. Yeah, and you're not the only one like kind of asking these questions. So 60 Minutes Australia released an episode on this case back in June when the news first broke. And they straight up said that he just wasn't known to Portuguese authorities at the time of Madeline's disappearance. I mean, again, he was certainly known in Germany. He's in Portugal kind of staying away from German authorities. And if it had happened in Germany, I think that they probably would have looked at him right away. But at this time, he wasn't on Portuguese radar for anything. But make no mistake, this dude is a bad dude. And not even like just a bad dude. Like this guy had been caught and jailed. Something like 17 or 18 times. Oh my God. And every time he got out, he would just like start right back up again over and over and over. So you mentioned Madeline and this American tourist. Are there any other victims that he's connected to? There are so many more. Christian was charged for molesting a six-year-old girl back in 1994 when he was only 18. And then he quickly got out of Germany, like literally running from police, and then didn't come back until five years later. And 
He did serve time for that assault. He served two years, but it did nothing to stop him from reoffending because in 2017, he was convicted again of child sexual abuse and served 15 months. And then two years later, in 2019, he was finally convicted of that 2005 sexual assault on the American in Praia Deluge thanks to a tip and some DNA evidence. So they like were able to go back and connect him to an even older case. So... I guess my question is, how did they connect him to Madeline's case? Just because he was in the area? Well, this is where it all starts to kind of come together. 2017 was the 10th anniversary of Madeline's disappearance. And so her story was kind of like all over the news again. Christian apparently happened to be at a bar in Germany at the time drinking with a friend when one of these stories like pops up on the news. And he says to his friend, I know what happened to her. According to a story by Mike Sullivan and the Sun, he told his friend that he quote-unquote snatched Madeline after stalking out the family's apartment in Praia Deluge for four days. Oh my God. So he was stalking them and he knew their routine. He knew that the patio door would likely be unlocked, that they would leave her alone. Yeah, he knew how much time he would have. And in this same conversation with this guy at the bar, he apparently also shows him a video of himself raping a woman. (gasps) Yeah. And at least one article I read said that the video was of him assaulting that American tourist. So the friend sees this, he hears this, and the friend goes to police. And that's how Christian ends up connected to both Madeline's disappearance and that American tourist as well. But but wait, you said this was the 10th anniversary back in 2017. Yeah. So if you're wondering what exactly happened, because again, we didn't hear anything till 2020, I honestly have no idea. When German authorities made this announcement back in June, they straight up said, we've known about this for years. I don't know if they were keeping it quiet so they could gather evidence. I have no idea what was going on. Okay, so you mentioned the six-year-old girl, another young girl, and then, of course, Madeline, and then the sexual assault victim, the tourist from America. Mm -hmm. You said that she was in her 70s? Yeah, Yeah, in her 70s. That just doesn't really seem to fit his victim profile to me. Yeah, I literally had the same thought and kind of um, did a little bit of research on this. And actually, Mark Hoffman, who's this like German crime analyst who appeared on that same 60 Minutes Australia episode I talked about, Mm -hmm. he addressed this very thing. He basically said that there is a difference between child molesters and pedophiles. He said, quote, It's really important to understand that many child molesters are not pedophiles. So for them, it's not about the young age itself. It's about weakness. It's about Mm. vulnerability. And it's about feeling some sense of power. End quote. That's that's really interesting. I feel like pedophile and child molester kind of get used interchangeably in the true crime space. Totally. But I totally agree with that statement. There's a distinct difference when you look at what other kind of assaults they might be capable of. Yeah, and in this case of this child molester, it gets even worse. Because as people start connecting the dots between Christian and Madeline, a really horrible trend starts to emerge. And it turns out Madeline McCann may not have been his only murder victim. 
What the public starts to learn in the days and weeks after Christian's name hits the airwaves is that Madeline McCann isn't the only child crime he's connected to. Almost eight years to the day from when Madeline went missing, this is May 2015, a five-year-old girl named Inga Garrick was with her mom, dad, sister, and two brothers. They're like visiting another family about an hour from their hometown in Germany. And the kids are, of course, like loving it. They're away from home. They're having a good time, like basically having a ball playing outside together while the adults like pull together this barbecue dinner. And Inga was helping set the table for dinner, which according to reporting by Claire Duffin and Sam Greenhill for the Daily Mail was down by like a little clearing just next to the woods. And that's where she was the last time her dad saw her. She was only gone a few minutes when the realization hits everyone that like no one has laid eyes on her. And so immediately, you know, everyone's probably like, well, where's Inga? Where's Inga? When did you see her? When did you see her? And, And everyone has like this moment of panic pretty quick. And everyone splits up to search the woods and around the house, kind of yelling her name, thinking that she must have like just gotten separated, gotten lost somewhere, kind of wandered off. Mm -hmm. But they search frantically for 45 minutes. And at that point, the sun is starting to go down and her parents are beyond panic, beyond freaked out. And they call police then to report her missing. And in very much like the same story we already heard, this massive search began right away and continued through the night into the next morning. And it continued for four days with dogs, helicopters, searchlights, loudspeakers, even thermal imaging cameras. There were reports of as many as a thousand volunteers that joined police to help search those 8,600 acres of woods looking for Inga. But they never found a single trace of her. So how did Christian get on the radar for this one? You know, I'm not sure he was initially, but at some point, police learned that he was in the area around the time Inga disappeared. And in February 2016, German police officers raided the property where Christian had been living in his van. Police spent a week searching the building and digging on the property, looking for evidence related to Inga's disappearance specifically. But if they were looking for a body, which some media at the time speculated they were, they didn't find one, or at least not what they were expecting anyway. The body that they found when they were digging things up was actually the body of his dead dog. And underneath his dead dog, were six USBs that contained a mountain of child sex abuse materials. When their search was done, police walked away with 8,000 pieces of evidence. Oh, my God. I mean, we're talking not just the stuff on the USB drives, but they also found several children's swimsuits along with that as well. But here's the thing. Even with all of that, there was nothing to connect Christian to Inga, which is like why this search started in the first place. Mm -hmm. The Scottish Sun reported that Christian was charged in relation to the child sex abuse materials, but not in connection with Inga's disappearance. The investigation into her disappearance was officially closed by German authorities in 2017, but they reopened it again this very summer when Christian was named a suspect in Madeline's case. What do you mean they closed the case, though? Yeah, so I I wish I had some more information on this. Like, I, I'm a little unclear on how it works over in Germany. Like, 
I have to assume it was closed due to the lack of evidence. Like maybe, you know, there's no sign of her. There's no evidence anywhere. There's no suspects. And even with all the searches, like, I kind of think that the case just wasn't going anywhere. And until like a new lead came, they they call it closed. Maybe like their version of like a cold case. Yeah. Like I think, again, I, I think we're used to the terminology we use here in the U.S. where like if a case is closed, it's because like we know who did it. It's over. And unless we have answers, we we kind of always hear that they're technically open, even if they're mm-hmm. not being actively worked. Now, even though they reopened it, Inga's case is still unsolved and it's not the only one. Authorities are also looking at Christian as a potential suspect in the disappearance of Renee Hossie, who is a six-year-old who was on holiday with his parents in Portugal in June of 1996. In his case, his whole family, like, were all going for this walk, and Renee ran up ahead, like, just out of sight. And when his parents caught up, they don't see him, but he they see his clothes there, like, just kind of in this pile, but no Renee. And in one article I read, his grandparents described how his footprints just literally stopped. For years, they and the police assumed that this was some kind of horrible accident, that Renee had decided to go swimming in the ocean, had had drowned. But this is another one where, like, you know, I don't think anyone worked it for a long time. We kind of knew what happened. But this is one that has gotten reopened again now because it fits the profile of how Christian has been operating, and they know that he was living in the area at the time. Additionally, Belgian police say they're now investigating Christian in connection with the July 1996 murder of a 16-year-old named Carola Titza, who was on vacation in Belgium when she met a German man. She was last seen with this German man at a bar, and she was missing for six days before her body was discovered in the sand. There have also been reports that German authorities have reopened the investigation into the murder of a nine-year-old named Peggy Knobloch, who vanished on May 7th, 2001, on her way home from school. Back in 2004, a man was actually tried and convicted for her murder, but the conviction was later overturned. And in 2018, another man, a convicted sex offender, confessed to police that he disposed of her body but denied having anything to do with her actual death. FR24 News reported back in June that Christian had been released from prison just before she went missing. Now, I think it's clear there is no question that this man is a monster. But the depths of his depravity, like I don't I I don't know that any of our listeners can truly wrap their heads around it. The episode of 60 Minutes Australia I mentioned talked specifically about a conversation Christian had in 2013 in a pedophile chat room that is just chilling. And I think it gives you like the best insight into this monster. So you're going to hear two men read the back and forth exchange, but I want to give a warning to our listeners that it is graphic. The first voice that you'll hear will be reading Christian's messages, and the second is the other person he was chatting with. How's it going? Pretty good. Bad with me. Want to f*** a little girl. Who doesn't want that? Catch something small and use it for days. It's not without danger. Oh, if the evidence is destroyed afterwards, I will document exactly how they will be tortured. Cool. 
Well, let's see. Not only talking, but also doing it. Oh my God. Yeah, like I said, not a good dude. And like, no wonder they're looking at this guy for like every cold case in Europe right now. Yeah, and honestly, this man is a parent's worst nightmare. And I think I speak for every parent that has thought or had that worry in the back of their minds that makes us feel like we cannot take our eyes off our kids for even a second. Like, yeah, just in case something is you know, lurking right around the corner. And Christian was, he was that bad thing right around the corner. And, yeah. you know, in all these cases that you've brought up, if he's responsible, he was literally right there in the places that people should have been safe, that they were feeling comfortable, you know, a camping trip, a family vacation. He's the actual boogeyman. Totally. And I guess here's my question. That man that was seen holding a child and maybe kind of running away from McCann's apartment that night, she disappeared. Do they think that that was Christian? Probably not. So they did go hard trying to identify that man quite a few times over the years. And there's still actually lots of speculation that Christian had an accomplice that helped him get Madeline out of her room that night. So they're thinking it's probably not him. That doesn't mean that that man didn't have something to do with Madeline or the child that person was holding wasn't Madeline. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, we just do not know at this point. But the best, like the most like definitive thing I've actually heard is sometime around 2013, unless it's changed, British investigators said that whoever that person saw, that man, that child is probably just a dad carrying his daughter home from one of like the daycare facilities at the Ocean Club. Again, this was 2013 when they kind of like said, hey, we think this is what this is. We're, we're seven right, years out right. now with a suspect that that might change. I mean, this story is very much still developing. So We'll be watching it for updates, and we'll likely talk about the updates in our headlines episode in the fan club. Christian is in a German prison now, and he will be there for the next seven years or so. There are reports investigators are trying to retest some trace DNA found in the McCann's holiday apartment. And I am just crossing my fingers that technology has advanced enough to get a profile, to put him definitively there. And maybe, just maybe, we will finally get justice for Madeline McCann. You can find all of the pictures and source material for this episode on our website, crimejunkiepodcast.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at crimejunkiepodcast. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? <laughs>